broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Hello, welcome to the Kick Set Podcast. I am your host, Dan McCarthy. I hope everybody had a, a super safe holiday and a, a great new year, ready to uh, shrug off 2020 and get set for 2021. Obviously, we're super excited here at USA Swimming because uh, the, the Olympic trials in June and the Olympics is, it's not just on the horizon anymore, but it's a, it's tangible and, you know, we're getting prepared for it. Our athletes are getting excited and, you know, you'll see the preparations and the, and the information coming on the USA Swimming website. If you haven't been there recently, please visit. Uh, the national leaderboard continues to be updated October, November, December. They're all up there now. Um, so please check and see if you've had an opportunity to compete virtually and submitted results where you stand. Uh, we do have a, uh, a tier pro swim series event scheduled for January 14th through 17th. There are details for that on the on the website. Uh, you go to usaswimming.org and click on events, and you'll be able to get some, some details there. There will be streaming and television details coming soon as well. If you didn't uh, have a chance to, to check everything over the busy holidays, the team kit for Tokyo was launched as well. Or maybe you saw the information and would like to, to you know, visit it on the website. You can do that um, right through the homepage as well and see the gear that has been put together for, uh, for our team headed to Japan in July. Okay, let's move on to our guest. Our guest for today is David Plummer. Um, everybody in USA Swimming and the fans and is, is a big fan of David. He broke in uh, with USA Swimming in 2006. Um, he was a member of our Pan Pacific team, which he returned to again in 2010. And he participated in, in tons of, uh, of meets for us over the course of his career. Um, he was on the world championship team in 2011, 2013, 2015. He went to the World University Games in 2007. Um, but one of the things that eluded him throughout his career was getting through Olympic trials to the Olympic Games. And we had a great conversation talking about breaking through that in 2016 and having an opportunity to be an Olympic gold medalist. Um, he won gold in the, his uh, backstroke in the four by 100 medley relay. And he also won an individual bronze in the 100 backstroke. And we had a chance to talk about that team, his career, and really, really start uh, talking about what happened after um, he finished swimming um, and it kind of coincides whenever you listen to him talk with uh, his development from 2012 to 2016. Um, David is now the Director of Leadership and Culture for Premier Sports Psychology. And uh, I, I really, <laughs> it would be hard to, to find a better title for one of our ex-national team members than this fitting David. Okay, let's have a listen here. David, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, very good. Thank you. Uh, just got through the holidays. How are you and your family? 
you know we're 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 doing good um it was a, it was a pretty low-key holiday um took it took it pretty easy you know we got we got a little snow in minnesota so we we had the white christmas and got to go sledding and i've been i've been building legos with my kids for the past few days and that's that's about it that's about it how old are the kids now so my my sons are seven and four Qu- quarantine's you know, really not terrible with, with little kids. It feels like you're always doing something. It, it just, my kids are really loud. So the, the noise level is consistently pretty high. Excellent. I want to talk about a number of different things with you. Um, take advantage of your expertise, take advantage of your experiences, get some insight, but also get some predictions. So you mind if we hop right into it here? Let's do it. I'm excited. All right. Um, I want to jump back four and a half years now to talk about the uh, 2016 Olympic team. I started working at USA Swimming in 2005, so I missed the Athens team, but I was there for Beijing. I was there for London. I'm there for Rio and got to know all the Olympic teams pretty well. And my personal opinion was the 2016 Olympics slash national team was one of the more special groups of people put together, um, in the USA Swimming family, um, at least in my in my years there, is that a bold statement, or do you agree? Disagree? <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's probably a, a fair assessment. You know, I, you were there in in 2015 when we we had we had a pretty rough world. Yeah. Um, you know, we it, in, and we were kind of predicted to have a down year in 2016. Um, and, and it was, it was pretty young, pretty young team. Um, so I, I think there was a lot of people saying, what, what is team USA going to look like this year? Um, and, and I think, you know, people just stepped up in, in really, really meaningful ways all over the place. Um, I, you, you can't count the number of, of spectacular finishes that we, that we had during that meet. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's a really fair assessment, and and I think it's uh, to me it's it's one of those things that I, I've always thought that USA Swimming is a little different in, in how we approach um, international competition, and in that we approach it as a team. And I think that that team did a really nice job coming together and and performing when it mattered. Then national team director Frank Bush, I remember him talking to the team and saying, "Hey." 2016, that summer was very, I don't know if you want to call it predictive or if it was a, you know, a sign of things to come, but he kind of said to the group, things are divisive at home in America. Um, politics aside, everybody's, everybody wants a great story coming out of this summer. Was that a good pep talk or was that a, a true sentiment? No, I, I, th- I think it's a, tr- I think it's a true sentiment. You know, I, th- I think one of the, one of the cool things about, you know, being on Team USA or, or being in the Olympics in general is you get to kind of stand for, for the best of, of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I very much believe that, that athletes should, should have more of a voice. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where all of that goes going into 2020, 2021 now. Um, but um, I, I think it's I think it's totally fair, and I think we saw we saw people represent our country really really well in really meaningful ways. Um, you know, I think about about Lily using her her voice and and speaking up against you know 
doping the way she did or, or, or Simone and, and winning that, winning that gold and everything that she's done for, for African-American swimmers since, since the game. I mean, it, it really was kind of the, the best of the U S on display, which is, which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. One of the, one of the most annoying things that I feel as if was put to bed at Rio, although it could raise itself back up at any moment now, was through all of uh, all of these Olympics, nothing's more antagonizing and ignorant to me watching a an interview with an athlete that won a medal and be asked, how come you didn't get the gold? How come you didn't get the silver or something like that? And I I watched, I wasn't in Rio. I watched it from home with my insight of everybody on the team. And one of the most joyous things for me was to, to feel as if there was a complete disregard for whatever medal somebody won as we were putting Americans on the podium. Um, once again, was this something I just wanted to feel or was this legit? <laughs> no, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I, I talk about that quite a bit, you know, um, I think the the coolest thing for me, yeah, you obviously don't prepare to win a bronze, right? Fair enough. You you prepare, you do everything you can to put yourself in a position to win. Um, but you know, I've I've heard Murph say it, and I've I've said it numerous times that having two Americans on the podium and seeing two flags go up was, I mean, it was incredibly meaningful to me. It was it was one of the one of the coolest experiences I got to be part of. Um, so I, 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 I do, I mean, we're, we're all striving for that gold and, and that's, that's important to us for sure. But I think that, you know, putting Americans on the podium was, was meaningful and awesome every single time that it happened. And, and we don't, uh, the team at least doesn't take that for granted from, from what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. And even from the, the broadcast perspective, um, I don't know if there was a memo or something, but it didn't even seem to be a question anymore um, where it was always the first question. And I guess my hope as a, as a fan, as an employee, as a, a, you know, a participant is that, that that's over with, um, but I might be wishing too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time will tell. Time yeah. will tell. <laughs> um, well, talking about the Olympics, so we had the, obviously one of the most unusual situations in the last 100 years with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, the quarantine, and then the postponement of the games. And we've had athletes on. We had Madison Cox on. We had uh, Twitch. Um, we had Erica Sullivan all, you know, talking a little bit about how they adapted. And one of the things that came through is like the the adjustments and things that they had to make were significant. Like, I mean and was ready to go to med school, you know, and had to, you know, work with, with counselors on how she was going to, you know, fix that and get her, you know, transfer it at her, her play it a year and everything. Um, and they've adapted physically and mentally. Um, and I know who personally, your path to being on the 2016 team wasn't the same as everybody else's on the team. I mean, you were a parent at that point, you, no, you know, like you had a much far, you know, I mean, you are not the norm. Is there a similarity towards the juggling that they had to do and the juggling you had to do, especially going into 2016? Um, you, you know, like I, 
it's it's hard to say i mean i, I guess for me um the the preparation i i felt like got got easier as i got older um i got more more comfortable in my own skin i got more comfortable just with everything that was going on and i i think that i i define myself less as as an athlete which was which was incredibly important for me um I, I think with what everybody's going through this year, um, you know, I, I don't envy it. Um, not at all, you know, and especially in, in our sport, we, we define things every four years, you know, it's that, that yes. been set for a while. Um, and people have been preparing that way for a while. I think one of the cool things that's coming out of this and, and we're seeing it in other sports of, you know, people, people are having less time to prepare and still having pretty amazing performances. You know, I think that international swim league showed people showed up unreal at at those meets um, on, on less training because, you know, they, they didn't have the same opportunities to prepare. So my hope is that, you know, people are taking this as, as an opportunity to do something a little bit different and not saying there's there's only one way to do this. Um, I think I think that that's never been the case. There's there's always numerous ways to to go about training and and being at your best. And you know, I I, I talked a little bit a few weeks ago to Greg Meehan, and he was like, "This this is an opportunity to to polish up some things that that we knew we could have been better at." Um, and, I, and I hope everybody's taken that that approach of this is this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity nobody wanted, but it's it's still an opportunity. Um, crossing over a little bit into the coaching realm of this, we all know that everybody's trained less. A year out of the games, they had maybe a two-month break, even more than that. If we swim as fast as normal, break records, break American records, is that something that you think the American uh, swim culture will say, hmm, this is interesting? I, I hope so. Um, you know, I, I, I hope, and I hope that that's true across sports. Um, you know, I, I think that for, for the longest time we, we looked at it as like time away from the water, you know, you lose your feel, you, you lose your aerobic base, you lose all of these things. But, but I think what we didn't do for a long time is, is recovery into the equation and say, what does that really mean? What does real recovery look like? What do I actually need to do to let my body recover from, you know, for, for a lot of these athletes, like you said, who took two months off. When's the last time somebody getting ready for the Olympics took two months off? I mean, a decade or more, right? Um, so I, I think it's, I, I hope that that plays into the equation, right? And it's, I'm not advocating that we just all of a sudden take two month breaks every, every two months or something like that. But, but I do think that there's more to be said about recovery, about the stress we, we put on our bodies as athletes and, and how that plays into the equation. Um, I don't know if you're an NBA fan or not. Um, but the, some of the interesting information that's coming out of the bubble that they, they put together for the playoffs was how advantageous being right beside the games and the recovery and the hotel was for the athletes that, because I thought the, the quality of the basketball was unbelievable. Like they played well and they did a lot, um, but they were able to 
there was no travel, there was no airplanes, there was no arriving somewhere at four o'clock in the morning. And to me, that is a, uh, I mean, something that you got to put in your pocket. So whenever you start thinking about athletes and how to get great performances out of them, um, maybe sometimes it's everything that happens away from the pool. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think that's one of those things that, that USA Swimming has done pretty well is, you know, consider the, the impact of travel, um, consider the impact of sleep and, and how is that going to play in and what's our approach to, you know, how we talked about that a lot going from, from Texas to Atlanta, right. Or, you know, they, they gave us a pretty clear message of here's when we're going to run practices. Here's how we're going to slowly prepare, prepare ourselves for a really, really late start when we're, when we're in Rio. Um, and, and that was, that was part of the process. So I, I think, you know, other sports that, that don't have some of that luxury that we've had um, are getting to see it firsthand because it's, it's rough. I, I, I can't imagine playing games the way the NBA did and then getting on that, that flight to go home for game four. Um, yeah. Like you said, at 4 a.m. Um, that's, that's tough. That, that wears. So I, I think that there's, there's a lot of meaningful stuff to be, to be taken away and, and learned through the process. And fun fact for listeners is that this is not the first Olympics to be affected by a pandemic. Your camp was supposed to be in Puerto Rico in 2016, but the Zika virus is what moved it to Atlanta. Yep, yep. Again, stay, stay, stay adaptive, and we we got pretty lucky staying in the the Ritz Carlton in downtown. <laughs> we don't have much to complain about. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that your preparation got easier as you moved towards 2016. And I wanted to ask you, like, if you were to compare your preparation for to 2008 to 2012 and 2016, what would stand out? And I don't want to say one was any better than another. I'll let, I'll leave it to you. But at least how did that preparation evolve over that almost a decade? Yeah. So, you know, I, I competed in four Olympic trials. So one coming out of high school um, after, you know, summer after my senior year in high school, one after my senior year in college, and then in 2012, 26 and 2016, I was 30. Um, so they're incredibly different, right? What I was, what I was doing in, in high school was, was not the same as what I was doing in college. Um, you know, when I graduated high school, I think I was six, three and weighed 160. Um, and I graduated college and weighed about 190. And, you know, when I competed as as a professional, I, I usually weighed in around 210. So the the way I had to prepare my body was was much much different. Um, I I think the thing in in 2008 for me was um, you know I I had done so much work with with Russell Mark on on my kick and and trying to change things and making adjustments and trying to make improvements underwater. Um, that I, I swam a, about as well as I could have at that point. Um, I, I didn't really see myself as a contender for a, for a top two spot, whether that was appropriate or not, I, I don't really know. But um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it was really kind of a, at that point I felt like it was a final hurrah. Um, that was, that was going to be the end of my career. And going into 2012, it was really, um, 
it was, it was all or nothing. You know, I had, I had started training again. I started training full time and, and my one and only goal was to make the Olympic team and win gold. Um, and, and that put just so much pressure on, on the 2012 trials that I was, I mean, my, I was sick, you know, a week out. Um, just my stomach was in knots. I was nauseous. I was, it was like stressful going yeah. into that, which was, that's, it's not the best way to prepare. <laughs> no. things, right? Um, and you know, I, I remember, I remember that race pretty vividly with, uh, with Thoman and, and Grievers and, and almost getting a little, a little over halfway through and just kind of like almost waking up and being like, Oh my God, this is, this is almost over. Um, so that it was just really not, not a great experience. I think my, my training, my prep in four years leading up to it was, was pretty good. Um, and just ended up being, being the wrong mental approach to the, to the meet. Whereas in, in 2016, I, I had reframed my goals so much. I mean, going to the Olympics and winning a medal was still at the top of the list, but the purpose behind it was, was way different. Um, it was, it was about being my best. It was about chasing this as hard as I could to, um, you know, to, to show my kids what, what they could do in their lives. Right. Um, it was just, just more purposeful and, and it was just easier. I was, I was more relaxed going into that meet than, than probably any other, you know, national or international competition I'd been at in a long time. So just, just an easier preparation. Um, technically I, I think my best preparation was, was going into 2015 and 2016. Um, and I would feel, feel very lucky that it all played out the way that it, that it did. That is such a, I mean, a, an encapsulation of somebody that works with the national team athletes of, you know, the, somebody comes on the scene and performs outlandishly because they don't know any better. <laughs> then <laughs> they worry about it so much that they struggle. And then hopefully they stick around long enough to realign the priorities and then, you know, get that achievement towards the end. And I think your journey from 12 to 16 is the most important part of that because so many people cut it off there and don't get to prove to themselves or prove to whomever that they, um, that, that they had it, that just the, the approach needed tweaked. Yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, people have said to me like, Oh, I give you a lot of credit for like taking the hard road and continuing on. And I, I'm not always sure that that's true. I, I sometimes think it's, it was the easier road. It was, it was what I knew. Um, mm -hmm. It was, it was more difficult to make a transition out of swimming than, than to just keep doing what I know. Um, but I think the big difference for me, and I, I've said this a few times, I had a coach, a strength and conditioning coach that was, that was talking about the difference between the really, really good and the great. And he was like, the great leave no stone unturned. Um, yeah. They just, they find, they find the way that they're, they're going to get there. Um, and that, that was the difference. It was, you know, I took my nutrition way more seriously. I took my sleep way more seriously. I took all of these things it had an impact on my racing way more seriously leading up to 2016. Um, getting a little bit more detailed about that. So in a normal year, 
we would be getting ready now to go down to Austin for the pro swim series event that kind of kicked off like the final run towards Olympic trials in June. And for us at the high performance group, it was always like one of those like wake up moments for a number of athletes because they would come there and maybe not perform very well. And it's too late. Like if all of a sudden you're realizing that your aerobic basis doesn't exist, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do in the next six months. Or I always think of Camille coming down there and swimming that 200 fly um, and all of a sudden, you know, becoming, you know, a somebody that was always on the national team to somebody that we were looking at as a potential Olympian. And so, so much happens in these next six months. And it's kind of fun to talk about this because we don't, we haven't had the chance to talk about the Olympics very much over the last six months as a, a vet of all this kind of stuff. What are these athletes looking at over these next six months, getting ready for trials slash games? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Austin. Like I, I can remember that that meet always stood out because it was like sort of right in the middle of, of the, the heaviest time of year. And it was like, if you can put something together at that meet, you, you felt pretty good about it. Right. Um, and I, I remember Murph Grievers and I all ended up at that meet and I can't remember if I got, I, I got second or third, I think Murph won it. Um, but I remember just like, the sort of back and forth of like, this is a three-way race and somebody's staying home. Um, yeah. And like carrying that for, for six months until <laughs> until it was time to actually figure it out. I mean, that that's tough, right? Um, and, and I think that this year it's going to be even more difficult because it's like, what's the measuring stick right now? Um, right. People, people don't have the same opportunities to race and the, the confidence – that, that so many athletes, I think, build, you know, not only through training, but through tra- training and competition. You see, you see where you're at. You can, you can sort of measure the benchmarks. Some of those benchmarks aren't going to be there the same way. So it's, it's a little bit more up in the air. Um, and it's, it's going to come down to, to what confidence you have in, in the training you've been able to put together. And, and hopefully you're feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, it's, it's fun for the fans. It's fun for uh, people that work in swimming because, you know, you're kind of like, you're watching something come together. Um, You know, I was watching football yesterday and Caleb was in a commercial, you know, for, uh, for NB for the Olympics. And it's, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, this is exciting. Um, And it is exciting for the athletes. However, um, there's some stress involved as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I keep, I keep joking. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to, to Omaha and be a fan. It's like, (laughs) you can, you can like cut the stress with a knife when you walk into that building. Um, it, it's, uh, for, for whatever reason, I mean, it's, it's a combination of a lot of reasons, but, but it's stressful. Um, and I, I always thought it was stressful because you know how good everybody is. Um, no, nobody had more respect for, for Matt Grievers as a hundred backstroker than I did. You know, right. I think we faced each other for the first time when we were like young teenagers. Um, like it, it's, it's tough um, going into those races and, and seeing what everybody else is, is capable of doing and then saying, I'm ready to beat the, beat the best in the world 
to go compete at the Olympics. Um, I, uh, it's, it's much more fun on this side of things. Just, just watching being a fan, like you said, it, it, it carries some stress. for sure. Yeah. And everybody, everybody feels it. I don't care how good you are. I had a, I remember talking to Bruce, Bruce Gemmel, um, after the 400 free finals and he told me about how relieved Katie was to get her spot on the team. And to me, that sounded outlandish. Like Katie was worried about getting her spot on the team. Are you serious? <laughs> I, I remember Lenny Kraselberg saying, saying something really similar and, and either, I think it was 2004. Um, he was like, you know, at this point you just feel relief. And it's like Lenny Kraselberg feels relieved. Relief. <laughs> But there's something about it, right? I mean, it's, you never know. You never know. Something could happen. Something could go wrong. You can make a mistake and and all of a sudden you're, you're on the outside looking in. Are the Olympics easier than trials? Um, In in some ways. Yeah. Um, In other ways, no. Um, I I think the, uh, the thing that I didn't really expect was sort of the 15 minutes of fame that go along with um, getting ready for the Olympic Games. You know, I think if you pair, compare just standing on deck watching both meets, the trials would feel more intense just because of the pageantry that, that goes along with it. But mm-hmm. there's also the knowledge at the Olympics that millions of people are paying attention and, and watching. Um, and they're gonna, hand out, they're gonna hand out Olympic medals when this is over. Um, so I, I, I think that, that the stress is there for both. It just plays out a little bit differently. Okay. Um, a little earlier, you mentioned the transition from swimming after you retired, um, to, you know, what you're doing now. Um, I don't, I know you were coached later in your career, but you definitely accept the responsibility of that a lot of what needed to be done was on you. And you alluded to that earlier when you're talking nutrition and all those sorts of things. And I would never ever say that you were self-coached or anything like that, but you had a big, you were a big part of how you actually were coached, you know, leading up to 2016. And then you transitioned into coaching following uh, 2016. Was that an easy transition? Did you belong in coaching? Do you still dabble in it? Where, where are you with coaching? Yeah, you know, I think late late in my career, I was I was lucky to work with you know a lot of coaches who who just put a lot of trust in me, um, mm-hmm. who knew I you know I'm not I'm not trying to get out of any any hard work at that point in my career, right? <laughs> if I'm if I'm asking for a recovery, if I'm asking for something specific, it's it's because I really feel like it's appropriate. So I, I was really lucky to find people that that trusted me. Um, and, and I, I think that that's, that's a, a big part of sort of what came later for me. You know, I, I was in, in a lot of ways lucky and in a lot of ways unlucky to find really good leaders through the sport of swimming and, and people that I, I thought could have been better. Um, and, you know, that, that's what I tried to take forward and in, into sort of the next phase of my career is what is, what does great leadership look like? Um, you know, throughout my career, I got to work with some of the best technically great coaches in the world. Um, you know, I, I was around long enough that that I worked with Frank Bush when he was coaching internationally before he took the national team director job. Um, 
I got to work with Eddie Reese. I got to work with Dave Durden and, and a bunch of guys like that. Um, and, and some of those guys did it really, really well where all of them are great coaches. All of them are technically just amazing. The things that they can see in the pool. And then there's those ones who go above and beyond that are, that are great, great leaders um, that, that make you feel a certain way when you walk onto the pool deck. And to me, that's, that's that untapped area, you know, there's, there's sort of the, the mental performance and the, and the leadership and the team dynamics. And if you can start to get all of those things functioning really, really well together, you give your athletes the best chance of success. And, and to me, that's, that's what I tried to take with me was what were those things that really stood out in my career that helped? Um, I want to do those things for other people. And then what were the gaps? What, what could I have benefited from earlier in my career? And how do I give that to other people? So I, I really tried to be reflective and learn. And, and that's, that's the piece that, you know, kind of played out in, in my coaching career. And, and now in, in my professional career outside of coaching is what is, what is good leadership look like? So what would be, give me two things, you know, that you took away that you said you learned from these people. Yeah. You know, I, I looked, uh, I looked at Jack Roach a lot. Um, you've spent some time with Jack and, and you know, what kind I of, have. Um, Jack was able to connect with people in a really meaningful, authentic way, really quickly. And I, I really think that that was as simple as he just really cared about everybody. Um, and you knew he, he had a way of showing that, that he cared about you. Um, he's, he's really good at that. He, he, he still is really good at that. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's one of those things that I think can often be missing from sports is like, I'm going to validate you as an athlete, but I'm not going to validate you as a person. And, 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 and nobody's intentionally thinking of it that way. I don't think anybody's being devious about this, but we just get so tunnel vision focused on the technical aspects of what we have to do because they're really, really hard and they're really, really important. Um, so I think that the people who, who find a way to do both of, I see you as an athlete, I see you as a person, and both of those things are incredibly important, not only to your performance, but, but to your health. Um, that to me, that was a big piece of, of being a great leader. And then, you know, I, I, I work with a lot of coaches in, in my, my current, um, role and coaches use the word accountability a ton. And what I found is athletes hate the word accountability and this weird disconnect between, between athletes and coaches where, Coaches say it and athletes hear, you want me to go yell at everybody else or hold, hold somebody accountable by, by sort of lighting them up a little bit. And I think that, that there's a little bit that's lost in translation there where I think great leaders are able to hold somebody accountable by setting expectations that, are, that sort of bring the best out of people, right? If I, if I say, you can do this, as opposed to you have to do this. Um, it, it brings something different out in people. So I think that those, those leaders who can really show, you know, sort of this, this expectation that comes out, comes from a really caring place 
that it's I'm holding you to a high standard because I see so much greatness and awesomeness in you. It just has a different effect. Um, so, so those are like two, a couple of the things that, that come out in, in really great leaders is that sort of that caring piece and that, that ability to hold, hold somebody accountable in a really, in a really authentic and caring way. So if, if I, if I was a, a great technical coach and I had the training piece down well, and I even was able to communicate it adequately to my athletes, but I needed to fill in a couple gaps. You know, obviously everybody's different, but do you see some commonality that great coaches need to fill in those gaps? You, you know, um, I, so I went through a master's program after I, I graduated in, in organizational leadership, and I, I did my thesis on the pr- professional development opportunities for elite sport coaches. And, and what it ended up being was a lack of professional development opportunities for coaches. Um, I, I think it's one of those things that you just don't really get taught. Um, if, if you have a great mentor, if you have a great head coach when you're an assistant, you learn it quicker, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's a gap for your head coach and, and it was in a gap, maybe the coaches that you, you worked for or, or were an athlete for growing up, then it's like, where's that stuff supposed to come from? Um, right. So I, I say that to say, like, I think that there are some gaps, but I think they're more inherent in the system than they are, you know, attributable to coaches, if that makes sense. Um, we, don't, we don't have some some master's degree that you can go get. It's, you can focus in on, on leadership and psychology and motivation and um, kinesiology and all, nutrition, all the things that you would need to be a great sport coach. So we'll have to facilitate that for themselves. Um, and, and the thing that always stands out for me is like, man, if you got the technical skills down, like you said, if you can, if you can start to develop some emotional intelligence, to me, that, that's, that's the gold standard. Um, there you are. Those coaches who, who really are able to connect um, and, and sort of get their, their communication across in an intentional way where things don't get missed and people feel valued to me, that's, that's the gold standard of, of really great leadership paired with really great coaching. So you, you've definitely put your, uh, your money where your mouth is. You now work for premier, premier sports psychology. What is this organization? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're a sports psychology organization in, in Minnesota. Um, we're, we're not a huge company, but I think we're the biggest sports psychology firm in the country. Um, and, and we work with people in a number of different ways. We do, you know, traditional one-on-one sort of performance coaching and, and individual counseling that, that my colleagues are, are amazing at. Um, we do, we do leadership development. We do team development. We, we really are, we're helping with sort of the, the soft skills of, of performance. And, and what does that mean? And, and how do we, how do we make sure that there's nothing getting in the way of high performance? You know, I, I don't think leadership creates high performers, but I think it greases the wheels to make high performance a lot easier. So that's, that's the kind of things that, that we work on as a company. And your role there, is it all encompassing or do you have specialty? 
Yeah, so my, my space is really kind of kind of leadership development and, and team development. Um, and I, I do that a lot with uh, the University of Minnesota through a, a program called Leadership U. So we, we consult there to help help student athletes kind of make the transition into college and, and build up some emotional intelligence. And, you know, we call it emotional, you know, leadership capacity. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you the kind of leader you can be, but I'm going to I'm going to prepare you for what it may look like. Um, so that's that's been a, a big part of my role in the in the few years I've been with Premier. Um, to kind of bring this full circle, I, I jotted a note down earlier. You said that one of the things that helped you going into 2016 was to not let being a professional swimmer be your identity any mm-hmm. longer. And it reminded me whenever I, I was reading over the uh, Premier Sports Psychology website and looking at your bio, the last thing mentioned in your bio is, oh, by the way, I'm Olympian. I won a gold. I won a bronze medal. I won. I went to all these games. I was like, that if I had that, that would be number one at the top of my list. Is that thoughtful or is that just how it ended up? It's uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, it's one of those things that it makes me really uncomfortable um, mm. to talk about my achievements just generally. Um, but but I, I I do think that you know. I, the way I was raised as an athlete was like sport has to come first. Um, it has to be the most important thing. And I took that to mean it needed to be way more important than everything else. And it sort of lived above everything else in my life. As I got older, the, it, it became apparent to me that I, I had to focus it on the other areas, right? You know, like you said, I was, I was a parent. I was a father when, when I made the Olympic team. I was, I was a husband when I made the Olympic team. And if I kept approaching it the same way, I wasn't going to be very good at being a father or being a husband. Um, and what I found was as I invested in those things, it made, it made performance easier, because like I said, going into 2012, it was the only thing. It was the most important thing and nothing else was close. Um, but the more, the more I sort of rounded myself out, the, the easier it was to, to say, I'm going to be okay regardless of the outcome of this race. Right. That much more free to give it, to give it everything that I have. Um, that and I, I, I'm very proud of, of what I, you know, what I accomplished as an athlete, but, but I didn't want that to define me as a professional after my career. You know, I wanted to make sure I could, I could stand on my own two feet regardless of, of my athletic career. So all of that, not talk about being an Olympian very often. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it, it's kind of funny because it struck me in the opposite way reading over the bio and uh, put it down as a note, like "Mm, I have to ask about this. (laughs) Well, before I let you go, a couple things, um, whether through quarantine or just Christmas vacation or holiday vacation, uh, we have a, actually a lot of parents that listen to this podcast when they travel to practice with their kids. Um, so some good streaming recommendations for families uh, that are going to be home during the winter months, anything in particular. Yeah, you know, the, the one that I really like, and it's, it's not going to seem very obvious at the beginning, but a guy named Adam Grant runs a prod, podcast on, um, I forget exactly what it's called, but he's an, an organizational psychologist that just talks about leadership and high-performing teams and innovation and things like that. 
I always think that that pieces like that are really fun to say, how do, how do we take some of these cool ideas that they're, they're doing in other areas and, and what would that look like on a team? What would that look like in sport? So that's, that's one of my, my favorites that really, really stands out. Okay. Um, anything on Disney that you'd like to recommend? Yeah. Um, Mandalorian hands down. I mean, yep. that show is awesome. Um, yeah, we can't do spoilers yet, but yeah, fair enough. I, I would know. <laughs> um, people looking for you on social media, where should they go? Yeah. So my, my Twitter's David E. Plummer and uh, Instagram is plum zero zero six, I think. And I, I try to stay up, stay up with those things as much as I can. Okay. And the business website or anything there? Yeah, premiersportpsychology.com. We uh we we run our own podcast, so you can check check that one out as well. Um, but uh yeah, check check us out. We got a, a mindset mindsetprogram.com as well. That's uh that's a cool one for for anybody looking to do some some mental work during the during the downtime here. Okay. Well, I appreciate all your time today and you know, I know you want to get back to your family over vacation and everything here, but uh thanks so much, David. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Take care. Thanks again to David Plummer for joining us. I hope you have a happy new year. I hope it's safe. I hope it's nowhere near as crazy as 2020 was. Uh, And I hope you enjoyed all of our shows. If there's some that you're missing, um, go back through, check out some of the episodes that we've had in the past. We have a really, really wide variety of, of podcasts and guests And uh, I find them all enjoyable for one reason or another. And I hope you did too. If you get a chance, uh, leave a rating, leave a review. I look at this stuff and I appreciate it when you do so. Um, Just to tidy up a bit here before I finish up, David mentioned a couple things during the podcast that I wanted to get you information for. Uh, He works with Premier Sports Psychology. And he also mentioned that they have a podcast. If you go to premiersportpsychology.com, right at the menu bar at the top, there's a uh, icon that says podcast. You click on that and you can see what they have to offer. Um, He mentioned another podcast. Uh, Adam Grant runs a podcast. And the name of that is called Work Life. I just searched Adam Grant and I found it on a a bunch of different ones. Um, But I would assume Work Life would work as well. Um, I'm not going to put a big plug in here for the Mandalorian. If you haven't seen it or don't know where to find it, you probably are avoiding it, but, uh, he mentioned that as excellent for streaming with his kids. And if you're looking for, uh, Twitter, uh, it's David E Plummer and that's two M's P L U M M E R. And his Instagram handle is P L U M M zero zero six. So plum zero zero six. All right. Once again, thank you for joining us on the Kickset podcast and have a great year. Thanks for listening to Kickset with USA Swimming. Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add Kickset to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.